Would you like to know how to escape the temptation trap and effectively say no to lust and porn, masturbation and sexual impurity? Do you desire to avoid the snare altogether and just stop giving in to the beast? Would you like to know how to live completely and unreservedly for God? Do you long for the time when you never have to lie ever again to cover up your sin? Well, if the answer is yes, then you've come to the right place, my friend. Welcome to the Point of Purity podcast, a weekly study filled to the brim with all the tools from Scripture you will ever need to build a lasting life of biblical purity. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry. And in this episode, we are going to dive deep into Scripture and look at King David's deceitful disaster. Well, over the last two episodes, we've taken some time to look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. In that text, we see God talking with Cain just before he kills his brother Abel. And here's what God says in Genesis 4, 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it, Genesis 4, 7. Well, before we move on to the next part of our series in next week's episode, let me give you a real-world example of the truth of Genesis 4-7. Now, most of you, if not all of you listening, are probably familiar with the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. But I'd like to challenge you to pause the, the episode, if you can, grab your Bible, and open it to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then just take a few moments and read verses 1 through chapter 12, verse 22. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 12, chapter 12, verse 22. You may recall from previous episodes the point that I'm about to make. With each and every choice that you make, either good or bad, doesn't matter, with every choice you make, there are always consequences. Well, in the case of King David's sin of adultery and murder, I want us to take some time in this episode and consider the six different choices that David made, the consequences that followed, and let's compare it with Genesis 4-7. All right, so here we go. Choice number one, David chose to stay home from the war instead of doing his duty as a king and leading his men into battle. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says that in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. I have a question for you. Based on the actions given in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, David choosing not to go out to battle but to stay in, at, at home in Jerusalem. Here's my question. Who do you think was sitting on the throne of David's heart? I want to submit the answer is not God. King David was sitting on King David's heart. What does God say about laziness? In Proverbs 18, verse 9, it says, A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. You see, with King Me sitting high and mighty on the throne of David's heart, he was lazy. He chose not to go with his men into battle. And we will soon see that destruction was in the wake of that decision. In Proverbs 13, verse 4, it says, Lazy people want much, but get little but those who work hard prosper. In Proverbs 21, verse 25, it says, Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. 
So, James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That singular, self-centered, king-me choice that David made influenced all of his other choices that we're about to see, and the result was some serious ramifications. But I want to ask you, can you see that same truth evident in your own life? Think about this. In what ways have your king-me choices had significant negative ramifications in your life? In fact, I want to submit that's a discussion worth having with your accountability partners. Well, here's, here's something I want you to seriously think about. How often do you read your Bible? I'm referring to a whole lot more than just a couple of verses out of the devotional for the day. I mean, really, truly, open your Bible and read it, study it, dig into Scripture. How often do you do that? I'm going to step out on a limb, and I'm going to wager that your answer, if you're being totally honest, goes something like this. Well, not very often. Or maybe your response is, "Eh, not as often as I should. We're going to dive deeper into this topic in an upcoming episode, but for right now, let me point out the absolute necessity of developing the discipline of being in God's Word daily. Let me ask you this. I'm going to work off the assumption that you're not choosing daily right now to dig into God's Word. You know you should, but you're you're, you're choosing not to. Here's my question. Why not? I want to submit that one of the primary reasons, again, if you're being totally honest, is you're lazy. It's too much work. I don't have the time. I, I, I don't understand what I'm reading most of the time anyways, so why bother? Can you relate? Oh, my friend, I want to challenge you to think about David's choice number one. Let it speak deep into your chest. He was lazy. You, I want to submit, have been guilty of making the same choice as David. You're not disciplining yourself to daily be in the Word of God. Listen, we are at war. No, no, I'm not talking about physical warfare against an opposing nation. I'm referring to the most important battle that you are engaged in, a lifelong battle known as spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. This is why, now listen, watch this, this is why, Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, we are to put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies, strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We are wrestling, we're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. I further submit that God makes it abundantly clear that in this spiritual war, we must be sober-minded, we must be watchful. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. So then, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, let's not sleep as others do. Let, let's not be lazy. Let's, let's not be like David, but let's be alert and sober, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So what choices are you making? Choice number, <clears throat> excuse me, I apologize. Choice number two, 
David chose to continue looking at Bathsheba bathing. He allowed the look to turn to lust. Remember, when King Me is sitting on the throne of your heart, you will see nothing wrong with the choices that King Me is making. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2 says, It happened one late, late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Here's a question for you. What should David have done the instant he saw Bathsheba bathing? Let me personalize it. What should you do the instant you see something that's even slightly sexually arousing? Isaiah 33 verse 15 says, He who walks righteously shuts his eyes from looking on evil. Let me repeat that. That's powerful. Isaiah 33 verse 15, He who walks righteously shuts his eyes from looking on evil. In in Psalm 101 verse 3, the psalmist says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. In Psalm 119, verse 37, he says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Listen, when you and I choose to allow the look to turn to lust, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14 says, We have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. James 1, verses 14 and 15 says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James 1, 14 and 15. Again, I ask, what choices are you making? Choice number three. David chose to pursue his lust instead of instantly destroying it before it got out of hand. 2 Samuel 11 verse 3 says that David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Was this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I don't want you to miss this. Bathsheba wasn't a thing. She wasn't an object of pleasure there for the whims and wishes of David. She was a real person. She was God's creation. She was someone's daughter, and she was someone's wife. Watch this now. When you choose to lust... When you choose to look at porn and masturbate to it, that person you're lusting after is not a thing, not an object of pleasure there for your fancy. It's a person, a living, breathing human being, somebody's child, very possibly somebody's spouse, definitely someone that Jesus died for. It's not your play toy there for your pleasure and amusement. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Are you catching that? Make no provision. The NIV says, don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So think about David's story. In what ways did David make provision for the flesh to gratify its desires? Let's personalize it. In what ways are you making provision for the flesh to gratify its desires? Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Choice, consequence. So again I ask, what choices are you making? Let's look at choice number four. David chose to have sex with a married woman, committing adultery, instead of honoring the sanctity of marriage that God had established, that David was fully aware of. 
Remember, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to consume you, Genesis 4, 7. 2 Samuel 11, 4 says that David sent messengers and he took the woman and she came to him and he lay with her. In other words, he had sex with her and then she returned to her house. But here's the thing. David didn't just have sex with a married woman. He himself was also already married, 1 Samuel 18, verses 20 through 29. In other words, no matter how you slice it, this was flat-out adultery. This was in direct defiance to God's command in Scripture in Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, God said, If a man is found lying with the wife of another woman, both of them shall die. <clears throat> Excuse me. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge away the evil. Deuteronomy 22, 22. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So what about you? Are you guilty of adultery? Now, before you are quick to answer and say, well, no, no, all I'm doing is looking at porn. No, I'm not committing adultery. I want you to consider what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, or may I add, at a man, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with that person in their heart. Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. So let me very quickly point out here that if you're looking at porn, if you're lusting after another person, if you're engaging in sexual fantasy, even if you're not literally participating in the physical act of having sex with someone you're not married to, God says you are committing adultery because you're doing it in your head. You're doing it in your heart. So again, I ask, what choices are you making? Choice number five, <clears throat> David chose to lie, and he chose to deceive. He chose to cover up his sin by attempting to bribe Uriah, that's Bathsheba's husband, and encourage him to sleep with his wife. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 16 through or 6 through 13. Don't forget Genesis 4, 7. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you. It wants to consume every part of your life. So think with me about how it consumed every part of David's life. It wants to do the same thing with you. Leviticus 19 verse 11 says, You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Proverbs 12 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 19, verse 9 says, A false witness will not go unpunished. He who breathes out lies will perish. So in what ways have you been choosing to lie, choosing to deceive in an attempt to cover up your sin? Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. So again, I ask, what choices are you making? Choice number six, David chose to have Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered instead of obeying the sixth commandment of the creator. 
And that's referred to in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. You see, God commanded in Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. So once again, let me remind you of Genesis 4, 7. It warns us that sin is crouching at the heart's door. The beast is watching. It's waiting for the door to open even the slightest crack so that it can pounce. It wants you. It wants to devour and consume every part of your life. Leviticus 24.17 says, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Genesis 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Well, again I ask, what choices are you making? Those six choices that David made, Every one of them were significant. They were impactful. They were life-altering choices. Each choice led David deeper and deeper into sin. Again, Genesis 4-7, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Are you beginning to grasp the significance of Genesis 4-7? Are you beginning to understand why it's so vital to your purity that you have this verse permanently etched into your memory? You have a choice, and with each choice, there are consequences. Each of David's choices brought about serious consequences. Think about this. He lost the respect of his military by choosing to stay home while they went to war. He lost the fellowship and blessing of God in his life. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7-9, through 9, God says to David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 2 Samuel 12, 7-9. This text in 2 Samuel 12 is powerful enough that it's worth pausing for a moment to consider all that God has already done for you. Seriously, stop right now and think of all the things that God has blessed you with. I want you to remember just not, not just the major things. Think about the small things as well. God has been good to you. And now I want you to understand this. If this were too little, God said, I would add to you as much more. So why? Why have you despised the word of the Lord and chosen to do what is evil in his sight? Why, my friend, why have you chosen to reject all of God's blessings in favor of your own sinful sexual passions? Why have you despised God's standards, God's principles of purity, God's promises to meet all of your needs just so that you could enjoy a moment of forbidden pleasure? Why? Another consequence of David's choice is that he had an unwanted pregnancy. Second Samuel 11 verse 5 said the woman Bathsheba conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Another consequence, his sin was discovered and it was made known to everyone. Second Samuel 12 verse 12, God said to David, you did this secretly but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. In other words, everyone's going to know about it. Another consequence of his choices is that he would never be free from pain and calamity, agony and suffering for the rest of his life. In fact, his own family would turn against him. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, God says, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. 2 Samuel twelve ten and 11. Let me ask you this. Put yourself in David's shoes for just a moment. Was it worth it? Was it worth the momentary pleasure that it brought David? Now, what about you? Has it been worth the momentary pleasure that it's brought you? Romans 6.21 asks this question. What benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed of? For the outcome of those things is death. Romans 6.21 And then I want you to consider this. If David had made the right choice to begin with, had he chosen to remove King Me from the throne of his heart and instead join his men in battle for the protection of his kingdom, what do you think would have happened to all the other choices? Let's look one more time at David's choices, only this time, let's consider what choices he should have made. Choice number one, he chose to stay home from the war. What choice should he have made? And I wonder, what would the consequence have been had he made that choice? Number two, he chose to look at Bathsheba bathing. What choice should he have made? And what do you think the consequence would have been had he made the right choice? Choice number three, he chose to pursue his lustful passions. What choice should he have made? And what would the consequence have been had he made the right choice? Number four, he chose to commit adultery. What choice should he have made? What would the consequence have been had he made the right choice? Number five, he chose to lie and to deceive by attempting to bribe Uriah, encouraging him to sleep with his wife. What choice should he have made? And what would the consequence have been had he made the right choice? And choice number six, he chose to murder Uriah. What choice should he have made? What would the consequence have been had he made the right choice? What choices are you making? And what are the consequences, and what will the consequences be? Well, we're going to hit the pause button here until next week's episode, as we look forward to continuing in this study. And if you'd like to learn more about today's study, or, or if you're interested in learning more about the Pure Man Ministry, be sure to visit our website. We have a multitude of resources that we've made available to you on the website. And you can find the website at thepuritycoach. It's all one word, thepuritycoach.com. One of, the re- one of the resources that I want to make available to you is my book entitled Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory. Again, the title is Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory. You see, saying no to temptation, choosing to live an upright and godly life, this is a daily decision that you and I must make. Every time we're faced with a temptation, we're also faced with a decision. Do I give in? Or do I stand firm in my faith and fight it? Do I, do I yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit and live to glorify God? Or do I focus on King me and give in to my fleshly desires? Remember, with either choice, there are consequences. And you can choose the consequences by choosing your actions. Well, this book, Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory, 
is written in a way that, that hopefully is very clear and practical in how to live a life that is holy and pure, how to say no to sin, how to make the right choices and live by the Holy Spirit in a way that glorifies God. So again, the title of this book is Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory. You can find it on Amazon.com, or you can go to my website, ThePurityCoach.com, and you can look in our resources section. And if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, well, let me encourage you, please do so today. I don't want you to miss any of our upcoming episodes. Well, until next time, this is author, national speaker, and purity coach Steve Etner reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, He must first be glorified in your every moment thinking. Thinking.